Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Landis Wade, author of the new novel, Deadly Declarations. Landis is also the host of a podcast where he also interviews writers and authors, the Charlotte Readers Podcast. Landis, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you having me. Honored to be here. Absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your new novel, Deadly Declarations, how would you describe the novel? Yeah, this is a, a mystery kind of set in two time periods. The mystery begins in the modern day in the New South City of Charlotte, North Carolina, where I actually podcast, where Charlotte Readers podcast. Uh, it's an unlikely trio of retirees who get together at what uh, is called the Independence Retirement Community, uh, which the uh, locals call the Indy. They team up to solve two mysteries related to the death of a 96-year-old resident. Why was his manuscript missing uh, on the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence when they found his body? And why did he leave his handwritten will dated the day he died and disinherit his beloved granddaughter, his only heir, and leave all his money, $50 million worth, to Sue Ellen Parker, the most despised resident at the Indy? And so what happens is these three... Uh, Retirees get together, and at the urging of this uh, fellow named Chuck Yeager Alexander, he's kind of an optimistic fellow who loves historical conspiracies and shoots fish with a rifle, uh, and a former businesswoman, uh, Harriet Keaton, who kind of keeps the men in line. They encourage Craig Travail, who's just been kicked out of his Amlaw 100 law firm at age 65 and finds himself in this retirement community. They encourage him to challenge uh, the granddaughter's will, and they go to court. And and what happens is, while they are in the process of challenging the will, all these clues come out related to this 250-year-old uh, mystery. Uh, it sets in motion a number of dangerous events that could lead them to discover this mystery that you know historians hadn't figured out uh, in the last 250 years. That is, as I say, if they don't die trying. <laughs> so that so that that's kind of the premise. You know that it, it starts here in in modern day, but it actually begins back in. Uh, May of 1775, when, uh, and little people know that, few people know this story, when there was a meeting at the Mecklenburg County Courthouse uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, the town was no bigger than, uh, you know, I don't know, 12 houses, and it was a wide area, you know, 1,100 people maybe at the most in the county. And, uh, you know, as the story goes, they declared independence from the greatest nation in the world at the time, Great Britain, and did it one year before they got around to it in Philadelphia. Interesting. Do you remember the original idea that led you to write Deadly Declarations? Absolutely. I, I know that you've probably had some epiphanies doing your own podcast uh, where you've interviewed authors. I've interviewed, uh, as I said, over 300 authors on the podcast, and I was writing a mystery. It was set in a retirement community. I wanted to deal with these underlying themes of change and what happens when you come to the end of a career and you have to think about that act three. And yet I hadn't really found the underlying purpose for the novel, but I interviewed an author named Scott Seifert. He's a local lawyer in Charlotte. He's also an amateur historian, and he'd written a nonfiction book on the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence, and he'd really, he dove deep, as a lawyer would, and he looked at both sides and the arguments and what happened to the documents and all the conspiracies. And so at the end of the interview, I said, hey, Scott, this is fascinating. Uh, are you going to write this novel? He goes, no, you write it. I said, okay, I'll write it then. I said, but will you look it over and give me some thoughts? Because I don't want to screw the history up. And and on that note, what kind of research did you do prior to writing Deadly Declarations? Yeah, so I read Scott's book two or three times. I also got some other books um, uh, on the topic because it's been a 
it's been a disputed point uh, in U.S. history, probably more regionally, but uh, a number of amateur historians over the years have written about the mech deck. It's been celebrated, uh, you know, for many years. The first hundred years, it was celebrated uh, quite a bit in Charlotte with parades and everything. And so I went back and dove into the library archives and looked at, you know, what people had said about it over the years and started researching, you know, the different positions and looked back at the letters that John Adams and Thomas Jefferson wrote to each other on the subject because I found those very interesting and decided to stick some of those, you know, in the novel itself. Gotcha. And what was your initial writing journey that led you to writing and getting your debut novel published? Yeah, so I was uh, practicing law for, uh, I call myself a recovering trial lawyer. I, I, I did I did trial work for <laughs> 35 years in Charlotte and mostly civil work, uh, uh, a little pro bono on, on a couple of matters, domestic violence, that kind of thing. But mostly it was for big companies, commercial matters, employment. And in my 50s, I just wasn't as energized, my mid-50s, about that part of my life. And I, so I started writing. I wrote some short stories that got published. I Enter some contest. I wrote a couple of novellas that ended up in a trilogy of novellas about uh, lawyers who saved Christmas. It was kind of fun, kind of a cross between My Cousin Vinny and Miracle on 34th Street. So, you know, <laughs> I did that. And uh, when I got to be, um, you know, 60, uh, and I thought, what am I going to do in my 60s? I'm gonna, I think I want to be more creative. And so I started the podcast and I started thinking about the next novel. And I wanted to, uh, you know, kind of explore this. And so while my other books, uh, the three other books are novella length, this is the first full length mm -hmm. novel uh, that I've put out. And uh, frankly, the journey was connected uh, to the podcast because I learned so much from interviewing, as I'm sure you do, Jeff, when you talk to authors about, you know, how they write and what they do, you, you pick up all these things. So I say, you know, um, a good author, you know, borrows from uh, other authors and a great author steals from other authors. <laughs> and so, 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 you know, I, I actually talked to some of the authors I interviewed and I said, hey, I want to borrow this structural idea that you came up with. Uh, I think I'm going to steal it. And they laughed and they said, sure, fine, whatever. You know, because that's what we do, right? It's a community. You look, you read what other people do, you get ideas. And so my journey, Jeff, was all about uh, this learning process, taking classes, interviewing authors, Reading their books. I mean, reading is one of the best ways to learn how to write. And I've read over 300 books just on the podcast, plus the other things that I read. Wow. Well, can you tell us a little bit more about your podcast, the Charlotte Readers Podcast? When did you start it? And um, and tell us a little bit about yeah, it. Yeah, funny story there. You know, did you hear the one about the lawyer who walked into a podcast studio? <laughs> well, that, that was me. I knew nothing about podcasting. And I figured, I, I said, oh, okay, I know. I'll, I'll try this. I'll do this. And my dad at the time, who was still living, he said, uh, he wasn't too sure about this sort of thing I was going to do instead of practice law. And he said, well, Landis, how are you going to make money doing that? And I said, uh, Dad, that's not really the purpose right now. And he kind of shook his head as if uh, all those years of tutelage had just gone down the drain, you know. So I just kind of wanted to do it. And, you know, I don't know about you getting started, but it was, you're learning all the time. I just went into a studio with somebody that knew how to do it locally and uh, dragged someone from my critique group as the first guest. And then it started, you know, getting some listeners. It started growing. I got an award and then I started doing other things. And I, then now I've interviewed uh, you know, authors in 28 states and three countries. And, you know, I'm, I'm more than just local and regional. I'm getting more authors. And it's, uh, but I tell you what, you know, this it's time consuming. So I'm still trying, I'm trying to balance. Okay. How do I write the next book and still <laughs> podcast? Cause it's not just like all you do is turn it on and talk for 30 minutes. There's the front end and the back end and, 
everything else that goes with it. But of course, I'm speaking to the choir here. You know all about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is kind of time consuming. Well, have you started thinking about, it or have you started working on a new novel? So uh, I'm in what you call the cogitating stage because uh, you know this uh, my, my novel uh, comes out on uh, ebook March 1st. It comes out in print April 5th. There'll be an audiobook uh, somewhere in between there or in April, and so. I'm in this sort of launch phase now, talking about the book, excited about it. But uh, I do leave a little teaser at the end that they're going to be coming back because I really like the characters. And I am thinking about creating a series because I've always enjoyed reading a series, you know, with with characters that you can relate to. And so I'm going to create a series that's going to be these three characters from this uh, retirement community and all the sort of quirky people that live there. And we're going to solve some more uh, deaths and mysteries that sort of surround Charlotte history. And I'm thinking about, okay, you'll be the first to hear this, but I'm, I don't know where it'll go this way, but I'm thinking about going back to the 1820s where there was actually a gold rush uh, in the Charlotte Piedmont region, one of the first on the East Coast. They also put the first, I think it was the mint, uh, the federal mint on the East Coast because there was so much gold coming out of this region at the time. And that went on for a little while until... Uh, you know, the gold rush in California sent everybody west. But I figure there's got to be some good stuff that happened back in that time period because you got a lot of people coming in from outside. They said the Charlotte streets were paved with gold because when they crushed all the iron ore and what was left over, it had little sprinkles of gold in it. They used that to, to pave the streets. So I figure, that, you know, there are still shafts buried under the big buildings in Charlotte. You know, we're a banking town in Charlotte. We got uh, Bank of America and other big banks here. Maybe there's going to be a couple of bodies in those shafts. Maybe there's going to be some old gold nuggets. I don't know, Jeff. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> that that sounds interesting. That sounds interesting. So not to not to spend too much time talking about um, podcasting, but uh, I'm curious. Do you know about the Charlotte Podcast Festival? Have you participated? I did. In I that participated. Um, it was your last the year that uh, they did it uh, virtually. Um, I guess, and, and I did right. that. I, I spoke about, uh, believe it or not, uh, legal issues in podcasting <laughs> because they, they figured, well, Landis, you're a lawyer. You should uh, know this stuff. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll talk about uh, different things related to that. And uh, that was fun. And, and there, you know, it's a good, it's an engaging community here. Um, there's a lot of podcasting going on. And I'm part of the Queen City Podcast Network that has a number of podcasts on different topics. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a vibrant community. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. That's great. That's great. We'll, we'll, may, we'll hopefully, with the, with the pandemic starting to recede, fingers crossed, maybe you can do some live interviews. At I would some like point. to do that because I did that before the pandemic here. We had something I called uh, Dinner and a Podcast. We did it at a local restaurant. That was a lot of fun, bring an author in, you know, have, have dinner, you know, talk about the book, and, and then they signed the books. Uh, a lot of fun. That's great. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of times people say, you know, you, you should write every day and you'll figure it out. Uh, that's that's fine. And some people follow that advice. I'm more of a, I don't know, project writer, um, you know, where I binge mm-hmm. write uh, because I need to kind of find out what it is that I want to write about. And so I would say spend a little time thinking about what it is you want to write about, whether it be the themes, uh, you know, and don't just write to market, so to speak. Find something that's kind of unique. And that's kind of what I try to do with this novel, because I don't think anybody's ever written a novel where the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence was at the heart heart of the story. Probably a few people have heard of it, except those that tried to keep it quiet from Virginia many, many, many years ago. But, uh, you know, so I would say, yeah, as a writer, try to find that thing, that unique thing that, that, energizes you to get your juices going um, and all the other stuff. Um, yeah. Take the classes, read the books and, and that kind of thing. And then just write because, um, you know, I had, there are a lot of words that I wrote related to this book that I ended up throwing away later. Um, and you've heard this from other authors on the show. I know about how that first draft is really just kind of getting things down on paper and, and the real writing comes in the rewriting phase. So, um, you know, don't just be a writer because you think it'd be a lovely life. I've heard, Authors on your show talk about that too, or because you have some notion of what a writer's life is like. Because hey, it's butt in the chair; it's a lot of time by yourself. But uh, you know, enjoy it. Make sure that if you're going to spend that time in front of the computer or writing with with your hand, that you have found that thing, that idea that interests you enough to spend that time there. Yeah, that, that's good advice. Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Yeah, so I have read um, well a, n- a number of lo- novels related to the the podcast. Um, I I actually listen to some audiobooks as as well. Uh, you know, I enjoy the you know mm-hmm. because I write uh, kind of a legal thriller. Um, I listen to legal thrillers and also listen to books kind of that I like. I I, I listen to the book uh, by Richard Osman, The Thursday Murder Club, which I really. Uh, and enjoyed and uh, Alan Eskins, you know, may the heavens fall. That was really good. And uh, I've had several authors on the show, like Steve Berry and uh, John Hart, whose books I enjoyed. Um, and and I, you know, I kind of like sure. to get into the series. I'll pick up a John Grisham book because I've always enjoyed reading him. Um, I like Amar Tolls and uh, uh, one of my favorite books. I have to keep every time I'll shout it out. Uh, Larry McMurtry and Lonesome Dove. I keep going back to that because I, I love the adventure uh, series there. But uh, yeah, I, you know, recently it's like sure. you. It's it's, it's uh, I guess it's the latest book that I've I could turn around and look at my shelf here. I've got about three hundred books over here, <laughs> you know, on the shelf. That uh, but you know we've yeah. got a guest list and a list of all the books uh, at the podcast website charlotterearspodcast.com. and I try to do a variety. So I'm reading uh, different uh, genres, um, and uh, I just read. Uh, uh, author, I'm going to interview Southern author 
uh, Robert Gwaltney. He's written The Cicada Tree. It's a really interesting literary fiction novel set in the South. So that was a a lot of fun. And uh, uh, Maggie Smith's Lies and uh, Truth and Other Lies, uh, set in Chicago, so women's fiction book. So, yeah. Jeff, I'm like you. I'm mm-hmm. I'm just reading a lot, a lot of books. They kind of run together sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry if I don't get all get all the titles right. Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh no, I I I totally understand. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your yeah, novels? Yeah, so and you can go podcast? to landiswade.com. That's L-A-N-D-I-S-W-A-D-E.com, and then uh, charlottereaderspodcast.com, and you can find everything about the podcast and about me and my books. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Landis Wade, author of the new novel, Deadly Declarations. And as we discussed, he also is the host of the Charlotte Readers podcast. Landis, thanks for doing this interview. And the book is available now. Hey, Jeff, so I really appreciate you having me on the show and uh, enjoy listening to what you're doing here as well. Absolutely. Great. Now, stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of Deadly Declarations, the Indie Retirement Mystery Series, Book One by Landis Wade, narrated by Bill A. Jones, available from Lystra Books, wherever audiobooks are sold. Author's Note The Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence has been an enigma for close to 250 years. According to oral history, the MECDEC was signed in the turbulent wake of British hostilities at Lexington and Concord, when prominent Mecklenburg County citizens and militia leaders met in the North Carolina backwoods of Charlotte, the town George Washington called a trifling place. There, at a log courthouse, they debated their future allegiance to King George, and with their passions high and their principles firm, they declared their independence on May 20th, 1775, from the most powerful nation in the world, assuming all risks attendant to their lives and property earned by such a treasonable act. Historians have treated the Mechdeck with disdain, running the gamut from contempt to indifference. Many called it fake. Others borrowed the words of Thomas Jefferson and called it spurious. Unlike Jefferson's Declaration of Independence signed one year later, there is no surviving MECDEC document. And yet, locals continue to celebrate the day, and the date, May 20, 1775, remains on the North Carolina state flag and on the Mecklenburg County seal. Were the North Carolinians first in freedom, as one North Carolina state license plate says? Or was the MECDEC nothing more than a fabrication to gain favor in the nation's revolutionary history? There is no dispute that a meeting was held at the log courthouse in Charlotte on May 20th, 1775, and that a tavern owner named Captain Jack rode his horse 500 miles to deliver documents from that meeting to the Continental Congress in Philadelphia. And there is no doubt that controversies followed. Burned documents, missing documents, stolen documents, falsified documents. And yet, curiously, Virtually identical phrases appeared in the MECDEC and the Declaration of Independence, raising the question, if the MECDEC did exist, who copied from whom? The professor had been adamant the MECDEC never existed. It's a fairy tale, nothing more. But a week ago, in a strange twist, things changed. Jaeger, you can't tell anyone 
what I am about to tell you. I'm working on a sequel to An American Hoax. An American Hoax was the professor's best-selling book that debunked the MechDeck story once and for all. Why did the professor need to write a sequel? What more could he say? It seemed like overkill to say it twice. But Jaeger had kept his thoughts to himself when the professor told him about the sequel. Something was different and serious about the professor's behavior that day. Over the next five days, the professor ordered his meals sent to his room. Every time Jaeger checked on him, he was hard at work on his laptop. He said he needed to finish the book before it was too late. He didn't explain the urgency. Yesterday, Jaeger stopped by at lunchtime, and the professor was wearing the same clothes from the day before. He hadn't slept, and he'd acted nervous like he'd had too much coffee. Jaeger encouraged him to take a break. I can't. Why not? The professor's nervous energy must have provided a spark. His face lit up. I found something. Something that changes everything. Jaeger wondered what that meant. Would the professor's sequel reveal the mech deck was not a hoax after all? And if so, what had the professor found? He asked the professor to explain, but the only answer he got was, Wait until tomorrow. Meet me at eight in the morning. Pack an overnight bag. Now, the professor was dead. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.